I'd like to thank um, <clears throat> the author for inviting me to speak. Um, so I'd like to begin with a and to Rabbi Sharon. Uh, I'd like to begin with a story that uh, Rabbi Y. Y. Jacobson uh, tells. Uh, a story that there was a big machlokus in a shul as to whether the custom was to stand up when Kaddish was said, not Kedusha, when Kaddish was said, or whether to sit down. And they would argue about it all the time. So finally, they said they needed to do something about it. And they knew that one of the older members of the shul who was now in a nursing home was 104 years old. So uh, they decided two delegations from the shul were going to go there and they were going to ask him, what was the minig of the shul? Do we stand during Kaddish or do we sit down? So they went to visit this elderly individual. And uh, the first delegation said, uh, you, know, you know, what was the custom? Uh, we stand up for Kaddish. Was that the custom? So the elderly person said, you know, I just, um, I don't think that was the custom. So they began to, so the other side began to say, well, obviously, then the other side must have been correct. So the other side said, well, you know, we sit down during Kaddish. Was that the custom? So the elderly person thought about it. He says, no, that wasn't the custom either. And then both sides started arguing back and forth until the elderly person got up and said, that was the custom. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the Jewish humor is a very, very clever. And it often is a cover or it points us into a direction of something very serious. We joke about things uh, because we have to joke about it. But sometimes when the joke is over, we begin to see that underneath is something very serious going on. And of course, that brings me to the topic of, um, of sinasinam, of baseless hatred, which I'd like to explore with you. I said the topic was then and now. And the reason I say now, because as we all know, this whole big issue of judicial reform here in Israel, which I'm sure you probably have read about, not that I really understand it completely, but we do know that it's very tense and, and it's combative and it's become very polarizing here in the country. But what's interesting about it is many people, you read the articles in the paper, many people are invoking sinasrinam. You know, each one is accusing the other of sinasrinam. And what's happened, and I can compare it to other years, maybe Rabbi Shurmi, you know, you know, sometimes there's this law in sociology, the unintended consequences. And here, maybe one of the unintended consequences is precisely because of what's going on in the country. All of a sudden, it's occurring this time, People are talking about Tishabov. Even, even the Chilonim, even the everyone's talking about Tishabov, about Sinasinam. It's sort of uh, you know, raising the consciousness about something that in previous years I just don't remember whether this was such a, you know, whether such a big topic. And of course, it is something that needs to be addressed. So uh, I'd like to explore it. I'd like to try to define it. When I say I, I mean following uh, Chazal. I'd like to try to explain why it's still with us and some suggestions as to how we can rectify it. Um, th there, is, there is the obvious elephant question in the room about Sinasrinam, because the Gemara tells us, but by the way, the source sheet here, if we had to read and discuss every, every one of the sources, we would, uh, it would take us quite a while. I just want you to know that it is here. We'll refer to some of the sources on and off, but we won't have an opportunity to read it all. But certainly, anyone has any questions, you can certainly uh, ask me about it. Um, 
But the uh, sort of elephant in the room here, the question is, the Gemara tells us in Yuma that the reason for the destruction of the, set, of the second temple was Sinasvina. I'm still familiar with that Hazal. So just ask yourself a simple question. Does the, does the punishment fit the crime? I mean, we all agree that Sinasvinim is a terrible thing. Faceless hatred, hating people for no reason. It's, it's not a very good Mida. It's not a Mida total. But you're telling me because of that Mida, because of that, what, what shall I say, unethical attribute, second temple was destroyed. Josephus says in his War of the Jews, he says that 1,100,000 Jews were massacred in the wake of Bayashim. We're not even talking about Hurban Beitar. 93,000 Jews were sold into slavery, gladiators, looking at an enormous carnage. You know, we think of the Holocaust, we think of you think of six million, it's a huge number, but that's modern, so you took the ancient times, ancient times, in a relatively short period of time, 1,100,000 Jews were massacred. I would use the word butchered, because back then they didn't have the, what shall I say, the fancy technology that the Nazis, Yamach had in World War II to kill us. But, um, and all that happened because of Sinasvinam, it doesn't seem to compute. So we'll see if we can address that, obviously, uh, as well. One of the things about Sinasvinam is that it, when, when the Gemara talks about it in Yuma, we see that it's not something that was just spoken about then. Sinasvinam happened a long time ago. And today things are different. We examine the sources, and I just put a few here. You see, this has been, a, this has been an awareness, sort of a shadow that has uh, followed us, sort of lurks. In the, in the dark corners of our national consciousness throughout history. So we even find at the beginning of Bayashani, I saw a quote from Zacharias, Zacharias Hanavi, one of the three Nevi'im who lived during the beginning of Bayashani, the last three Nevi'im that we had. And there, Zacharias comments and Rashi comments on the Pasuk, V'yish V'yish Esra What is this evil thing that people shouldn't be thinking about in their hearts? So Rashi comments, uh, he was referring to Sinasvina, but this is the beginning of Bayashin, before, you know, before the calamity occurred. And then we have the famous Ramban. Ramban wrote a special book called the Torah Adam, in which he discusses many, many things. Among the things that he discusses is the Korban. And in that work, the Torah Adam, Ramban says that the destruction of the second temple was worse than the destruction of the first temple. Well, how do we understand that? The first temple, there were Mishnah and Pirkei Avos, uh, uh, the Mishnah and Avos tells us in Pirkei Avos that there were 10 miracles that happened every day. There was a palpable presence of the Shekhinah during Bayash Rishon. And you're telling me, the Ramban says that the destruction of Bayash Sheni was worse than Bayash Rishon. So the Ramban explains, after Bayash Rishon, there were terrible, terrible Averos, Shrihas Domen, Gile Arayas, right, Avodah But apparently the Gemara Yuma says, the Nevi'im told us what our mistakes were then, and we did shuva, and 70 years later, we began the building of the second base HaMikdash. But Ramban says, after the second base HaMikdash was destroyed, we're still waiting. I mean, nothing has happened. We're still waiting. Why are we still waiting? Obviously, we haven't rectified the sin which caused the destruction of Bayashani, which is Sinashina. So Ramban says, this, the destruction of the, the actual language of the Ramban, which Tuchanara quotes is, 
that the Hurban Bayashani Khomer was it was it was worse. It was worse. And then we find that the Chafetz Chaim, this is a it's a small book that has not been translated to English. Chafetz Chaim wrote, wrote many, many books. He has a small pamphlet that's less, in the printed version, it's less than 10 pages. It has five small chapters called Avas Yisrael, not Avas Chesed, which we're familiar with, Avas Yisrael. The Hebrew is not difficult. It has not been, to the best of my knowledge, it's not been translated to English. In that small pamphlet, less than 10 pages, five small chapters, then the Chafetz Chaim wrote about one thing, that's the topic, one thing. And I had a chance to read it again. It just, it's absolutely remarkable. I would certainly suggest if you can handle the Hebrew, it's very, very, very worthwhile. And there, I, here's, the, here's, here's, you know, here's one of the quotes, the underline, again, line 20 on the first page. And the Chafetz Chaim, he's talking about, Chafetz Chaim lived in the 20th century, the early part of the 20th century. It's not some old antiquated ancient sin. He says it's occurring every day in every corner. In the big cities and the small cities. And if we don't do anything to correct it, we're going to stay in Golos forever. There'll never be a third base Hamidrash. We're never going to be redeemed. And then the old and we're going to have to answer for ourselves. I'm sort of convinced the Chafetz Chaim was referring to a uh, to a Yerushalmi that we know that's on the source sheet here on line 30. Any generation in which the third base Hamidish has not been rebuilt, the Mashiach hasn't come, it means it's our fault. It means it's our fault. Because if we were able to rectify the sin of sin Aschinam, then obviously that would solve all the problems and there'd be a third base Hamidish. If it didn't happen in our, in, our, in, our, in our generation right now, then collectively all of us, myself, everyone here, right? All of Klal Yisrael, we're all guilty because we didn't, bring about some rectification of sinasinim. So again, this is not some old, uh, this is not some old hate that we read about, and it's just part of ancient history. It's something which we need to address, and, uh, <clears throat> and we do address it. I'm sure we do think about it. One of the comments, uh, Rav Yonasan Eibschitz, one of the great, great Rabbonim in the latter part of the 18th century, in 19th century, wrote a book with Drushas called Yoris Devash. And in the first chilek, in Drosha Yud, he has a very, very lengthy discussion of Sinasrinim, among other things. And there he makes a remarkable comment. Remember, we asked the question. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. Sinasrinim is a very terrible mida, but for that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroys the second temple. I once made a listing. I did a, uh, you know, a search, and I came up with close to 18 different reasons throughout Shas why why the base Hamidzu was destroyed, okay? They didn't go lifnim mishur hadin. They didn't honor, the, you know, they, they equated the uh, the katan and the gadol. They didn't show respect for tamidei chachamim. Uh, the people were not honest. There was bitul Torah. They didn't keep Shabbos. It's a whole list, close to 18 different reasons. 18 different reasons? Well, which one is it? So there is a tosfas 
that brought down, and again, I alluded to here, Tosfos in Bava Metzia, where the Gemara, where the Gemara also asked a question like that, namely that on the one hand, we say it's Sinas Chinam, but one of the other sources is that the base Hamidus was destroyed because the people didn't go lift Nimish or Sadim. So Tosfos says, well, which is it? And the answer Tosfos gives, Hava Hagaram. They were both, in other words, one was responsible for the other. Which one was responsible for the other? So comes Rav Yonasan Aipshitz in the Eurus Devash and he says, Sinas In other words, Sinas even of it, in and of itself, would not have been responsible for the Korban Abayis. But because of Sinas I put it this way, Sinas is the toxic underbelly that, po- that the poisonous root that breeds and forments and incites all the other reasons. In other words, if it weren't for Sinas people would respect Hamidah. If it weren't for Sinas people would go with Mimishur Sadin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It all begins, the root cause is Sinas That's how terrible it is. So if we can in some way resolve or correct, right, Sinas then all the other 18 issues for which the base Hamidah was destroyed would melt away. So again, if we attack the root, if we attack the cause, then hopefully this can give us some hope that the base Hamidish could be rebuilt in our day. Uh, I often thought, just in terms of making it very real about uh, Sinasfina, uh, there's a custom that is, it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. I have it, it's in the sources. Shulchan Aruch says that on Tisha B'av, you're not allowed to greet anybody. What does that mean? You're not allowed to say hello. How are you? You're not allowed to do that. Uh, so, you know, you're worried about insulting someone else. So the Mishnah Burr says, well, you could do you can make a hand motion or you can explain, I'm not allowed to say hello to you. Don't, please don't take it personal and so on. But that's the din. Generally, they understand that because Tisha B'av is also a day of Avelis in mourning. And lo alenu, person sits shiva, person who's mourner doesn't greet anybody. So Tisha B'av is sort of a little bit like that. But I thought perhaps there might be another reason. There's a Mishnah in Sanhedrin that says, how do you define a Sony? What is the technical halachic definition of a Sony? And the Mishnah says, Mishnah Sanhedrin says, if you, if you ignore someone three days in a row and it's clear that you're ignoring them because you don't like them three days in a row, then halachically you're a sone and there are nafkaminas lahalacha. There's a, a whole discussion, science, test, Sanhedrin, based on that Mishnah, that according to Rabbi Yehuda, you're a you're, you can't You're a sone, you, you know, you can't testify. You can't be a judge. Now, that means if you walk by somebody for three consecutive days and it's clear that you're doing it because you don't like them, that means you're a Sony. It means you, you don't like that. I mean, why else would you do that? People always read each other. So perhaps one might suggest that the reason why we don't read each other on Tishabah is because we're feigning Sinashim. We're feigning sinasim. Get a sense of how does it feel to walk by somebody and not say hello? How does it feel to pass by somebody and have that person ignore We're acting, we're feigning, we're faking sinasim. Give us a sense of how terrible, how terrible that, um, that terrible ethical, unethical behavior is. All right. Let's see if we can. Uh, move on and how do we define it? 
I think the classic Gemara is beginning on line 40. I'm just going to summarize this Gemara. It's a whole sugya in Shas with many, again, halachic implications. But it goes like this. The Gemara says, <clears throat> Gemara says in Psachim, the end of Psachim, Gemara says, if you come upon, oh, um, yeah, okay. So the Gemara says that there are three people that Hashem doesn't like, okay? And uh, one of the people that Hashem doesn't like, If you see someone doing something, well, here they speak about some act of sexual impropriety, but the Roshanim say it could be, you see anyone doing an Avera, anyone doing an Avera. The rule is, if it's, just, if it's just you, you're not allowed to publicize. You're not allowed to publicize. But if you publicize it and you're only one witness, Hashem says that's a terrible thing. You need two witnesses to publicize an Avera, that this person committed an Avera. But the Gemara says, even though you can't publicize it, mutar lesanoso, you can hate the person. So the Gemara says, how do you hate the person? We have a Pasuk in Pumish in Vayikra, lo sisna, not allowed to hate another Jew. They mean the Gemara says, you're mutar lesanoso, you're allowed to hate him? So Gemara says, well, he did something wrong. Objectively, the person did something wrong. That's we're not debating that. The person did something, violated an Isir in the Torah. This, and you saw it. You saw it. So Mutalasanosa comes along Rab Nachman and he goes one step further. He says, Mitzvah Lasanosa. Mitzvah Lasanosa. It's actually a mitzvah to hate it. That's incredible. That's incredible. Okay. So uh, how do we understand this? First of all, in this light. You should point out something just, you know, you know, just parenthetically. We don't have to apologize for hating somebody. The Christian view is, you know, turning the other cheek and so on. You know, there's been a lot written about this. There are certain people who deserve to be hated. The Hitlers of the world, the Stalins of the world. There are people who are just thoroughly wicked, the Amaleks of the world, etc. And we don't apologize for that. Not at all. And the, one of the sources I bring down here is Yiras Hashem Ra. Someone who fears God will hate, will hate evil. Anyway, so here the Gemara says, mitzvah lasanoso. Sometimes it's a mitzvah to hate somebody. So Tosfos here raises a classic question, a very important Tosfos. And, and to explain what Tosfos is saying, Tosfos says, wait a second, how can you say that? How can you say that it's a mitzvah to hate somebody? They've done something wrong. Let's keep that in mind. We're not making this, the person objectively did something wrong. So Tosha says, we have a Gemara in Bukh Metziah that says, Ohev, Ohev, Lifrok, Sone Lito. You come across two people. One is your friend, and he has an animal that needs to be unloaded. And then you have an enemy, right? An enemy. What does enemy mean? He did something, violated the Torah. And your mitzvah, let's you have to him. And he has to load up his animal. Who should you help? What would you say? What would I say? What's the question? My friend, right? And in addition, the Gemara says, there's an in, the dominion of Tzar Balechayim because the animal having heavy loads, right? It's a mitzvah to unload the animal to relieve whatever discomfort the animal has. So certainly I should be unloading the animal of my friend. But you know what the Gemara says? The Gemara says, you go to your enemy and you help him load his animal. 
And the Gemara says, you know why? Because in doing that, you'll control your Yetzirah. So Tosfos comes, what are you talking about? I just said, look, didn't we learn that you're supposed to hate the person? The mitzvah hate the person? Why am I going at him? What Yetzirah? What Yetzirah do I have to control? It just doesn't, it doesn't mix. You know, the, the, how do you connect the dots? So Tosfos gives a very, very important answer. And we'll see, this is going to be the basis of a very important distinction, which I hope will help us to understand and define, at least based on these sources, what's in Aschenon. Tosfos says, you know, you know why you should help the, help your enemy that you legitimately have a right mitzvah so you know why you should help that person because if you help that person load his animal he's going to say well that person did me a favor why would he do me a favor well because he's not such a bad guy and then the person who's the enemy right he'll look back upon the other person and he'll say well you know and then you know banking off the chesed, the simple chesed, banking off one another, you know what it'll do? It'll lower the flame of sinner. It'll lower the flame of sinner. So it won't mushroom into something greater. The language of, you know, Tosfas quotes a very famous Pasuk in Mishle. Kamayim haponim lamonim, kamayim haponim lamonim, came leva adam loved. Just like when you look into water, you see where your reflection, your mood is going to be determined by how another person looks at you. If another person smiles at you, does a favor, it's going to make you feel better about this. It's going to make you feel better. What Tussles is saying here, Tussles is alluding to, is a critical distinction that the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, who wrote the Tanya, says in the Tanya, which I have quoted here. But let me just let me just see if I can uh, analyze it and conceptualize it for you. Basically, the argument is like this, and this is becoming to at least an understanding of what sinaschinim is. Sinaschinim is when you hate the person. Are you allowed to hate? Of course I'm allowed. But what am I allowed to hate? Not the person, but the deed. Where do we learn that from? Take a look at the source at the bottom of the first page. A well-known source in the Gemara in the first parak in Brachos. It's a story that, uh, if you don't know it, just very quickly, uh, Rav Meir uh, was uh, having a problem with one of his neighbors, was driving him batty, he couldn't concentrate, and he wanted to pray to God that Hashem should kill them, basically, and get rid of them. They were wicked, they were Rishon, they were wicked people. You know Rav Meir's wife, right, the famous, right, famous Bruria. So Bruria says to her husband, Bruria says, Rav Meir, the Pasuk says, Yitamu chatam in Aretz, Yitusham, Odenam. Right, in that the uh, wickedness should cease in the land. And she says, it says, the sins, not the sinners. Don't pray that Hashem should kill these people. Pray that Hashem should remove the sin. Meaning what? Help them to do tshuva. And so it has a happy ending. Rav Meir prays to Hashem to do tshuva, and they did tshuva, and the problem was solved. The wisdom of Bruria here in making a distinction between the person and the deed is, I think, the essence of understanding what sin aschinam is. When you hate the person, or when you allow the mistake that the person made, it was it was a mistake. Yeah, it was a mistake. The person did something wrong. It could be a terrible thing, and you're going to let that mistake so color your view of that person that now that person is nothing. 
more than a piece of garbage, that you cancel out that person because of what that person did, that's in us. Take a look at the, it's important to see the quote of the Tanya on the, the first page. I'll just read. The Tanya quotes the very Gemara that we've been discussing, the Gemara in Psachim, and then the Gemara that tells us quotes in Bav Metziah. And then the Tanya says uh, on line 54, She mitzvah lisanosam u mitzvah It's a mitzvah to hate them and a mitzvah to love them. So you'll say, how do you do both? How do you hate and love them? So ushtehen hain emes. And he says, they're both true. How can they both be true? So he says, you hate that which you identify as bad about them, meaning the deed that they did that was bad. It was bad. But Ava mitzad bechinas hatov hagonu shebohem shunitzutz elokut shebesochan. A beautiful expression. He says, but you have to love them because deep down there's a pure element in them. They're basically basically good people. They made a mistake. Right, we all make mistakes. My Rebbe Rasalavechik, I don't have it down here. He used to say, when Moshe, how did Hashem appear to Moshe for the first time? In the, in the you know, the, the famous burning bush, the Snehaboer. Why? Why did he appear in that way? Moshe had basically, he basically had given up on Klal Yisrael. They, you know, they, they, they slandered him. They, Pharaoh and Pharaoh wanted to kill him. We all know the story, you know, Dasan the Aviram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Moshe didn't want to go back. Moshe had given up on them. And many of the things that Moshe knew about the Jewish people then were correct. But Hashem says to them, I know to you, Moshe, the Jewish people seem to be nothing more than a burning bush, a thorn bush. A thorn bush is good for nothing. It's only good for one thing, kindling wood. But look closer, Moshe. In that thorn bush, there's a labazesh. There's a pure fire. That's what you're missing. That's what you're forgetting. Yes, the Jewish people in Mitzrayim had done many things which were not correct, many bad things. But deep down, the descendants of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, there was a Nitzutz Kedusha, what Chabad, based on the Tanya, speaks about the Pintaliyid. And we can't dismiss a person, we can't reject a person, even when they're doing something wrong, because we have to recognize that there's something overall, overall, what do I know about that? I can't reject the person. The deed, yes, but not the person. When I cancel the person, when I throw that person out, then I'm engaging in sinaschim. That's the distinction. If you if you don't, if you get everything that I say, remember that distinction. It would be good. It's not my own, but I think it's based upon the wisdom of Bruria, and I think it's endorsed by what Tosfos says in uh, you know what Tosfos says in Pesach. Based on this, the Hassam Sofer, based on exactly what we're talking about, the Hassam Sofer, the top of the second page, gives an interpretation of the story of concept by concept that is unique. No one interprets the story this way. If you've never heard it before, it's Kedat. Hassam Sofer says, he asks a very simple question. You, you all know the story, concept by concept? Yeah. So when, so, so when Ben Kamtz, so when Bar Kamtz is thrown out of the house, right, by the Balabas because it's his enemy, right? And so, so the Chassam says, how come the Tamidei Chachamim, what happened? They didn't say anything. You're talking about Tamidei Chachamim. Here, this, this, the host is embarrassing. Bar Kamsa in public. And the Tamidei Chachamim, and they're not doing anything? How do you explain that? 
It's a very, it's very interesting. And they didn't say anything. Because, because they didn't say anything, that was among the reasons that Barkhamsa went and slandered the Jewish people to Rome. And we all know the terrible consequences of what he did. So you know what the Fasam Sofer says? That if they, they were Tamidi Chacham. So you know what? He says, this Barkhamsa must have been a bad guy. He must have been a Russia. He must have done some terrible things. And you know, we have a rule, Yomarim Brachos, that says, that Tamida Chachom not allowed to sit down in the Seuda with people who are low lives. It's not right. You sit down with them, they're going to talk Lush and Haro. Says, yeah, we, we're going to eat separate. So the Tamida Chachom, when the, when the host, everyone knew that Bakamsa was a Russia, he's a terrible person. So when the host threw him out, the Chachomim said, well, you know, we're not going to say anything. He shouldn't be here. We can't sit and have a meal with him. And they were wrong. In other words, they were right because they were done din Torah. They followed the technical halacha here that they couldn't sit with him because Barkamsa objectively was a bad guy. Objectively was a bad guy. But they didn't go with Nimish or You know what they should have said? True, the guy, he's not a good guy. It's not the person. Whatever he did was wrong, but it's not the person. We're not going to kick him out. We're not going to embarrass him. They didn't go the extra step. And that's what the Hassam Sofa quotes Rav Yochanan, the reason, again, among the 18 reasons that I mentioned that the Bayasheni was destroyed because they didn't go with Nimishur Sadin. They should have gone. What would make them go the extra mile? That very idea. He's a human being. He's not a nice human. I understand that. He's an object, you know, he's an objectionable person. I don't like to sit down with him, but he's here. What am I going to do? If I throw him out, I'm basically canceling him. And that's not right. You never cancel another human being with some, again, like I said, some very, very few exceptions. Thank God, these, not, these exceptions, fortunately, we don't meet in our everyday life. But that's, but that's the idea. So basically, the point that I'm making is, again, when is, my definition, not my, my, my understanding of the definition of sin is when you hate the person, when you allow whatever misdeed the person did, and it may be significant, whatever Avera the person did, you allow that to blacken the entire person. And therefore you use that as an excuse to cancel the person out completely, reject the person, throw the person into the garbage. When, you, when you're engaging in that, that's sin So. Having said that, moving on, having said that, then let's address the next question. Why, do, why is it so persistent? If, it's, if that's in Asrim, why do we continue to engage in it? We're all guilty of it from time to time. Eh? Why do we find it so difficult to control? So here, this is a big discussion, and uh, I don't have it down here, but the Balatanya also wrote another book, which is not study that well because it's very difficult, not been trained something called Likute Torah. So the founder of Chabad, it's a very, my Rebbe Rasalovich used to learn that. It's very difficult because it's very Kabbalistic. It's not easy to understand. Uh, and even if it were translated to English, it probably would also be difficult. But I saw it quoted and, uh, <clears throat> and I thought it was remarkable. What he says there, he says, he, he, he makes the following argument. He says, if a person cancels out another human being, it's your price, it's your problem. If you allow 
what another person does that's wrong. To give you an excuse to reject that person completely, it means there's something going on inside you that you feel the need on some level to reject that person completely. I, I'll, I'll put it this way. You see, there's a quote there under line 20. Does the name Henny Machla sound familiar to anybody? Machla's family? Well, I'm sort of indirectly related. She passed away many, many years ago. A really remarkable woman. She passed away in her, in her 50s. And there was a book that Oscar published, something with, forget the name of it, was it Chicken Soup and so Tells this, that book only talks about maybe only a few of the stories. But in that book, she has a quote. And, and she was a very, very perceptive woman. Big Balaska said, you know, her husband, they should, you know, may live in well, is still doing many of that, you know, Rabbi Mordechai Machlis. And she had this quote, hurt people hurt. It's a simple thing to remember, hurt people hurt. If someone is hurting somebody else, it means that deep down they're hurting. Because otherwise, why do you want to hurt anybody else? Why? I mean, you're hurting. So here, here, what are the top of, what are some of the things that that get that that make a person hurt that they really want to lash out at other people? But how can I lash out at somebody else? I'll tell you what, I'll find something wrong with them. You know, they're doing this, they do that, they have this bad habit. Oh, oh they've committed that out there, they got here, that, that. That gives me an objective reason, an objective reason to hate them. Because something is bothering me. And rather than try to repair it inwardly, whatever that source of angst is, instead of trying to deal with it myself, it's easier for me to blame somebody, but I can't blame anybody else just outwardly. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna find a good reason, an objective reason, and maybe a true reason to hate them. That's in us. That's in us. So just to give some examples, okay, of what gets us to do this and, Look, I, I, look, I look at myself. If we, if we all do a little introspection, I think we can all see that maybe from time to time we've been guilty of this. But uh, so here, so here the uh, some of the so, so some of the examples on line ten, for example, the Yerushalmi comments and says that the shehoyu oavim is hamamon v'sonim elu laelu senaschinu. Someone has a lot of money. You know, I, you know, that bothers me. How come that person has a lot of money and I'm struggling? I don't like that person. Why? Because that person has something that I don't I feel a few sorrow inside of me. I feel there's something missing in me. You know, I maybe I'm a failure. Maybe I haven't, maybe things haven't worked out. Maybe it's my fault. I have issues of self-esteem. That person has more money than I have. I don't like that person. But I, I can't say that. I don't want the person with his money. So let me look a little bit. Oh, I'll find a, oh, he made a mistake here. She made a mistake here right there. Gotcha. And that gives me an excuse to, to so whatever. Mutar lisanoso. I don't like what the person did, but I allow. Because I have a need. Hurt people hurt. I have a need to cancel that person. I allow that objective sinner, which is okay, to mushroom into something much greater. And I just want to get rid of that person. And then there's no telling what I may do. Once I decide to reject that person, I may insult that person. I may not invite that person here. I may, you know, find some ways to whatever. 
crazy things that people do to say, I hate you. I hate you. Walk by that person, I think a mission in Sanhedrin, three days in a row. So, you know, give a person a silent treatment. Okay. So that's one reason the Gemara gives. The Gemara elsewhere, the Medrash comments and says, with reference to why the students of Rabbi Akiva died. So instead of giving the reason the Gemara and Yavamos gives that they didn't show cover to each other, he shook Enos sorrows. They were selfish. Sometimes uh, I don't want to share anything with anyone else. Uh, you know, I want it for myself. I, I'm interested in my cupboard. I don't want someone to take it away. And if I think someone is going to steal what I have, I'm going to hate them. But again, I can't hate them. I have to have some excuse. And there are, it, what I'm saying is, based upon what the Alta Rebbe says in the Kute Torah, it all begins with me. There's something going out. I'll give you one just personal example, which is, is a silly example, but it points to something. One of the minyanim that I daven in is a person, and I, without exaggeration, I don't know who the person is. I don't know. But he sits across, he, he comes, time, times the minyan. Before I finish saying the bracha, he's finished the shmoner. It takes longer to flip the pages than it takes him to say the shmoner. 30, 40 seconds, he sat down. And he does this consistently. Now, I don't know who he is. But you know, I have to be honest, it bothers me. It really bothers me. I can a person say Shmonish in 30 seconds. I mean, you just you just can't do it. It's impossible. 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 He sits down, me, takes his phone out, starts, you know, whatever. It bothers me. Who has a problem, ladies? I have the problem. It's my problem, not his problem. How do I know? I don't even know his name. I don't, I don't even know his name. Maybe he has a reason. Maybe he can't stay. Do I know? I don't know at all. It's my problem. But I don't want to admit that it's my problem. <laughs> Who likes to admit they have a problem, right? This guy has something wrong with it, whatever. No, what's, oof, I'm not going to say hello to him or him and so. It happens. It happens. And that's a halavai. That should be the worst. That should never happen. But my point is, things like that happen. We can relate to that in different ways. People annoy us. People, there are people annoy us all the time. Why? I don't know. They're doing something that bothers me. I think they're doing something wrong. Maybe they are doing mutar the sanosa. Maybe they are doing something that's wrong. But if I if it bothers me and I'm and I'm hating the person, then you follow again that distinction. It's mushrooming into sinaschinim, and then it's dangerous. It's dangerous, lady. You don't know where that's going to lead. It's very very dangerous. So anyway, the Chafetz Chaim, I put down you know you know so the Chafetz Chaim again in that. Incredible pamphlet, Avas Yisrael. Take a look at line 16. He says, he gives different reasons. He says, Matsui Shepamim, Dodam Yeshana Lechavero, Yisna Lechavero, Shechavero Mikuba Yoter. Someone, someone, you know, they're giving someone a big honor. You know, they're giving a dinner in his honor. Uh, the, the speaker mentioned that person's name and, uh, well, person, all this, you know, he, they, you know, they're honoring him. Well, you know, well, what about me? Who has the problem? I have it. And then you look at this, he says uh, in uh, line 19, I see a person who's a very nice person. Nice midos, gives chesed, gives tzedakah. She's always getting out for people and so on. Wonderful. Shouldn't I admire that person? No, I'm jealous, you know. Who does that person, who does she think she is, you know? 
and uh, I have a problem. It's my, it's not that, but it's my problem. And I try to find a little black spot in that person to literally, you know, bring that person down and so on. That's when it becomes, that's when it becomes sinastina. So it's a, it's a, it's a persistent sin. It's a, it's a yetzahara. Remember what Tosva says. There's an enemy. The animal needs to be loaded up. I don't want to help. He's my enemy. Mitzvah lesanose. Tosva says, control your yetzahara. It's sinaschinim. Help him anyway. You know what will happen? The temperature will go down. You may not invite him for Shabbos meal, but at least you'll see he's a human being. He's a human being. I, just one more point here, but uh, let me see if I have it down on the sheet. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll get to it. So now we've defined uh, sinastinam as rejecting, canceling the person and allowing a mistake to blacken the person and you know what I have to do with them. I hate the person. I don't want to be in the same room with the person and how that can lead to terrible things. Why it's so persistent? Because very often hurt people hurt. The pro- I have a problem. I have a problem. Why should I take it out? on anybody else, on the person, on another person. I have a problem. How can we rectify it? So I have a number of suggestions. A lot of them come from this little booklet, Chavetz Chaim, very Avas Yisrael, but some others as well that I heard from my teachers. The first thing is you have to have the guts to admit that, the, that you have the problem. Like the example that I gave. That you, you have to look in the you have to you have to look in the mirror and say, I think I'm guilty of sin. I've seen it here. Why do I hate that person? What do I know about that person? Just because they did that one thing, what do I know about that person? Let's say the person insulted me. That's a pretty good reason to hate the hate the person. Okay, what they did was wrong. I'm gonna how do I know? Maybe the person had a bad day. Who knows? It could be a million reasons. So first of all, we have to have the courage to look at ourselves and say, it, the problem is with me, just like I had to say with that fellow who died with the quick shmutter. I said, it's my problem. It's not his problem. It's my problem. I don't know what his problem is. It's my problem if I'm rejecting it. You have to admit that to yourself, that we can all be guilty, and I'm sure we all are from time to time, of this Aveira of Sinasim. Just have to be honest with ourselves, okay? And it all begins with that. Number Okay. The second thing is <clears throat> we have to be one suggestion is V2, you know, to be Mivater. Where does that come from? It comes from a Gemara, Gemara and Rosh Hashanah, where there was no rain. And Rabbi Lazar, I'm Rabbi Lezer Ben Hurkanus, the great, the great Rabbi Lezer Ben Hurkanus, he's called Rabbi Lezer Agadol. He gets up and prays for rain, nothing happens. Rabbi Akiva, who is his student, he gets up and prays and he says, Avino Malkeno, this is the source for you. Rabbi Akiva was the one who coined that expression, Avino Malkeno, it starts to rain. So Rabbi Eliezer got insulted. Come. The heavens answered Rabbi Akiva, not me. So the Gemara says, because Rabbi Akiva was Ma'avir Almidosa. Ma'avir Almidosa is an interesting expression. It means I'm not going to be that particular. I'm not going to be that mocked. I'm going to let things go. I'm going to let things go. Anyone who knows the biography of Rabbi Akiva, we don't have time to go into it. That was his personality. He, he grew up in a very, under very unusual circumstances. He didn't grow up what we would say, quote unquote, in a from home. You know, 
They say, the Gemara comments and says that Nero, the emperor of Rome, according to Ghazali, converted to Judaism. One of his descendants was Rabbi Akiva. They say Rabbi Akiva descended from converts. Who was the convert? Nero, the emperor of Rome. Nero, who was the, who was the Caesar, who commissioned Vespasian to come and destroy by a shame. It wasn't such a big, but I'll say he did shuva, whatever that means. Okay. Anyway, so to be mevater, it's not, it's not the biggest, not, no. Be mavir amidos. Let it go. Okay, the person did, the person did something wrong. It's not, forget about it. It's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. I came across a story about when Rabbi Yoshev married his wife. So they wanted to have an understanding because they know that in marriage, you know, sometimes there's disagreements. So, so they made the following, uh, so they made the following arrangement. He said, I'll be Mavater. He says, I'll be Mavater first. And the next time you'll be Mavater. Notice if there's some sort of a disagreement. So I'll be Mavater and then you'll be Mavater. And we'll go back and for this way, everyone will be happy. So after many, many years, so someone asked, uh, you know, the rabbit said, well, is this working? She said, no. She says, because, uh, you know, he's always Mavate. He's always Mavate. My husband's always Mavate. Okay. It's just, I, they say it's a true story, but it, it says something about, because we have a Chazal that says, if we're Mavate and we're willing to overlook things, guess who's going to overlook things with us? Hashem. Mita connected Mita. Hashem will overlook things with us. Obviously, we're not perfect. So if, we, if we're Mavater and we don't, so Makpit about people and about the little mistakes that they make, which leads to sin aschinam. So the reward is Hashem will look upon us with the same sense of rach. So number one, we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that we're guilty of sin aschinam from time. Number two, we have to try, and it's not easy, to be Mavater. Number three, Number three is a, a point that the, one of the, probably the main, the main advice that the Prophet's time gives in that little book with Abbas Yisra. It's, it's so clear. He quotes, of course, on line 35, have he done is kol adam makafsas. Give people the benefit of the doubt. What does that mean? I mean, why should you give a person the benefit of the doubt? Unless you know the person is, this is a whole discussion. Unless you know the person is a real Russia. Okay? Most, most of the time we have no clue about that. What do we know about another person? What do we, what, my Rebbe Rasalovich used to say, he used to say that a couple could be married for over 50 years and they still will not really know each other. After 50 years, you don't know your spouse, 20, you don't know. And he says, you know why? He says, because I don't even know myself. I don't even know myself. Do we, do we know ourselves? Do we really know ourselves completely? What's the point? The point is, how can I pass judgment on somebody else? Do I know who that person is? That's why it says in Pirkei Avos, you're not allowed to judge someone until I chit Makomo. But, but that's impossible. How can I put myself in someone else's shoes? I'm not that person. So by definition, I'm not allowed to judge that person. I have to give the person the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes it's not easy if that person has hurt us. Sometimes it's not easy if the person has done something which is objectively not right. But that's what the mission is telling. That's what the Chafetz Chaim is saying. You want to rectify sinas chinam? Try to give people the benefit of that. That's why it says, as you know, I'm sure you've learned when it says, "Have they done as kol ha'adam?" You have to look at the total person. Do we ever know it? The total person? We don't. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why that person did what he did. 
can't you think of many times when you when you misjudge somebody or judge someone wrongly or negatively only to find out afterwards that you completely missed it that the person had a very good reason for doing what they wanted to do but you you know you again because of the senas you want to find an excuse to cancel that person you know give the person the benefit of the doubt so that's the that's the third recommendation okay the fourth recommendation is <clears throat> Um, now, what is it means you should rebuke. You see someone doing something wrong. It says it's a mitzvah to help hate them. But it doesn't stop there. We have an obligation to rebuke. Now, when I say rebuke, you hear the word rebuke in English. It's very, very strong. It sounds, yeah, scream at them, hit them at the head, criticize them. But that's not how the Rambam understood. The Rambam in Hilfos Deus and I didn't put it down here, it just would have been too long. The Ramah Hazdez has a whole discussion about how you mochiach. Even though the Gemara says in Erechim that today no one knows how to be mochiach. We don't know how to, we don't know, we don't know how to correct somebody. But the Rambam says this is a din, it's brought down in Shulchan But here's, the, here's what the Rambam, here's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says, if you see someone who's doing something wrong, the Rambam uses the language, he says, you have to be machzik lo letova lahachaziro lemuto. If you're going to criticize somebody, you have to be thinking about whom? You have to be thinking about the person, not yourself. Not yourself. I, uh, in other words, what do I have to do to bring that person around, to help that person to understand why they made that mistake? And the Rambam Yisrael, she says, he says, you should speak b'loshon racha, b'nachas. I mean, think about it. When we criticize people, if we're all guilty, do we do that? I, 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 just the story, I remember, again, going back when I was teaching a long time ago, when I was teaching as in, in, in the States. So one time the principal, was a very nice fellow, he called me in. I must have done something wrong. I do not remember what it was. But he calls me in and he starts getting upset. He's angry. He says, you shouldn't have done whatever I did. I'm sure he was right, whatever it was. And then afterwards, he smiles and he says, I don't feel better. I got that off my chest. And afterwards, when I thought about it, I said, he feels better. I feel miserable. Now, I'm assuming that he had every right to tell me what I did, whatever it was. But is, is, that, is that how you go about, is that how you go The Bale Musser, and I forget who this is, or fan, used to say that before he would criticize somebody, he thought about it for a week. How, do I, how can I bring this up? You know, how can I say it? I don't want to insult him, you know, be careful and so on. How do I do it? When most people criticize, most people, when people criticize very often, they're doing it because they feel better at the end of the day. I'm going to let that person have, that person did something. I'm going to feel better. This happens a lot between spouses. It happens a lot in family because we take things for granted and we scream and we yell. We don't, you know, we don't talk properly and so on, but it happens all the time. It's a mitzvah, if you see someone doing something wrong, to be mochiach, but how you do it. How do you do it in such a way that you, like the Rambam says, zero lamuta, to bring them around. Benachas, beloshon rachat, the language of the Rambam. Okay, how do you do that? It's, it's, so, it's so critical. You know, in last week's parashu, Elahad Varim, Sarashi says when Moshe begins the book of uh, Devarim, he, he was gonna point out all their sins, but he does it, Beremez, why? 
But here's the point, ladies. If you want to, one of the ways to deal with sin is to try to convince the person that what they're doing, that's wrong, you know, you know, to try to nip it. You have to criticize them in such a way so that their cover is not impugned. You have to criticize them, correct them. I'll use that word. It's a, it's a more milder word. You have to correct them in such a way to preserve their cover. So Moshe Rabbeinu did. Moshe Rabbeinu probably had to give a lot of thought about how he was going to say what he had to say. The person did something wrong. It's bothering I'm allowed to hate the person. I have to make sure that the deed won't mushroom into hating the person. It's the deed and not the person. How do I do that? Let me see if I can in some way figure out a way to get him or her to stop doing that. How can I do it? I have to think about it. I can't do it instinctively. I know what I feel like doing, screaming and yelling. I have to think about it. I have to think about it. It may take me a week. I have to think about it. But I'm not going to open up my mouth because it's a danger. I may impair that other person's cover. I'm not allowed to do that. Moshe didn't do it. Why should I do it? So that's the fourth. Again, summarize number one. Be honest with yourself. Admit that we're guilty of sin aschina, right? Number two, right? Number two, the importance of being mavater. Number three, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Number four, being mochia, correcting them in the right way. And finally, I would say, and this is my own experience, having a conversation with a person. Having a conversation with a person. Again, another story. Again, these are simple stories, but it's funny, you know, when you begin preparing something, I've been preparing this for some time, trying to, so, you know, you, you obviously you prepared, you, you know, you think about it yourself. You're not just, not just give a speech, you think about it yourself. So again, there's another minion now. I'm not going to identify. There's another minion that sometimes I go to. And, and there's this person at the minion that comes to the minion, he's sort of, as they say in Yiddish, you know, he comes with a, Vest and one of these chains that comes out of his pocket, and one of these crazy hats. He stands out. These not your simple, you know, fancy, colorful garments, and so he has his place. He has his place by a stender, you know. You know, God forbid anyone should go over to that stender, and even though in that shul, wherever you go to, you know, you're, you know, it's, you know, it's open seating and so on. But he has that stender, you know. And I'm sitting over there every time he comes. He walks around the shore like he's, he's the owner, he's the boss and so. And uh, again, I don't know his name. He doesn't know me. I don't go there that often. But when I see him there, it just, 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 he's, you know, it's annoying to see someone like, you know, like he's making himself into the be all and end all. So two weeks ago, I'm sitting over here. He's sitting over there. And all out of a he bends over and he takes my hand in his hand and says, good job. I wish you good job. Only did. I have to be honest with you. You know, whatever negative feelings I had about the guy melted. <laughs> it just melted. And, and, and I and I thought about it afterwards. I said, I said, why did that happen? He's still doing whatever he's doing. I mean, he, he hasn't changed. He's still doing whatever he's doing. But he's a human being. I mean, he's, he's a human being. And then last Shabbos or two Shabbos ago. He sees me sitting there, he says, I'm giving a private kiddish, I want you to come. Now, I don't know his name, he doesn't know my name, we don't know each other at all. First, I, I couldn't go for other reasons, but, but the point is, he's still the same person, but I feel differently about it. We had a 
10 second conversation. You know, my point is sometimes, and I, and it, this happens again and again and again, when there's somebody that you feel that sinaschina, you know, again, against the person, it's welling up. And there may be reasons, you know, you, you may have your reasons. Have, have a conversation with the person. Not to talk about that. You know, good job is how are you? Oh, I see, you know, oh, you're new here. You live around the neighborhood. What do you do? Whatever, I'm just, the, the person smiles. I'm I can't guarantee, you know, the sinner that was building up, you know, that's just, this sinner scheme has a way of just evaporating. Again, it doesn't, whatever the person does that's wrong. But my point is having a conversation with somebody, showing a person a measure of civility, of dignity is another human being. You don't have to invite him to your home for Shabbos. You don't have to give him maftir on Yom Kippur. You don't have to you know, make a dinner in his honor. He's a human being. She's a human being. Give them the dignity that they deserve as a human being and recognize that you don't know who they are. And we have no right to judge. And hopefully by, by doing this, you know, by doing this at a consistent level, we're not perfect, we're not perfect. But by adopting some of these reasons that I'm suggesting, it, I'm telling you, it can be very effective, very effective in reducing and sometimes eliminating sinaschim. Ladies, I, I give you know, I give this class on about the Yetzirah. This is something that doesn't go away. Sinaschim is something. It's like a Yetzirah. We have to deal with it all the time. We, we don't solve it. But if Hashem sees, if Hashem sees that we're really grappling with this in a very serious way, and not just Oh, next, you know, we're really trying to do something about it. So then my sense is then, you know, that could bring about the good look. Perfect, we're not going to be. But we can certainly be better. We, I'm talking about consciously focusing on sinaschinam. The way I've tried to define it is against the person, never letting a mistake that a person does blacken who the person is and reminding us how important it is to respect, to respect everyone. I had this thought, and it's a, it's a crazy thought, but the very last quote at the bottom, you know, maybe there's a mida connected mida here, you know, that what is anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism is people hate us for no reason, right? For no reason. There's real sinasrina, which results in catastrophe. And maybe, maybe if we, can help rectify the sinaschinam that we're guilty of. Maybe Hashem will rectify the sinaschinam that the nations of the world are guilty of. And maybe that's another way that the Gula will come about. Thank you very much for listening.